Chapter 5 An hour after leaving Mary Taylor, Joanna burst into her own apartment, hoping to see the lamp glowing in the parlor and Eva sitting by the fire. But the tiny parlor was dark, and the chair was empty. Maybe her sister had stepped into the bedchamber across the hall. "'Eva?' she called. "'No answer.' Joanna checked the bedroom just to be sure. No one was home. Her hopes fell. She hurried back to the parlor, scooped up a small pile of coal and lit a fire. She was chilled to the bone by her long walk through the cold December night and worry for her sister. She watched the meager flames lick the edges of the anthracite while she rubbed the backs of her arms. What to do? She wouldn't be able to eat or sleep until she knew what her sister was up to. Joanna hugged her arms closer to her chest. She knew Eva was distraught about her upcoming wedding. She might have run away. But where to? No one ever escaped the overseers. They were all-knowing, all-seeing overlords. If Eva had broken the law in any way, she would be banished forever to the Narsi work camps, or worse, executed. Either way, Joanna would never see her sister again. The thought took her breath away. Struggling for equanimity, Joanna panted through the stab of anxiety that constricted her chest. If she lost Eva, she would be alone in the world. She was twenty-eight years old. She had been passed over for marriage, with no hope of a husband and children. Eva was her only relative, and the only family she would ever have for the rest of her life. Sis, what have you done? Joanna whispered. She squatted to hold her chapped hands closer to the fire, allowing herself the luxury of a few minutes of warmth, but not allowing herself to dwell on the accident that had taken her parents years ago. Eva must not end up as they had. She just couldn't. Life couldn't be that cruel. But in the back of Joanna's mind, she worried that life could be that cruel. That's why she stopped herself from thinking about her parents whenever they came to mind. She snapped off such pointless memories. She kept busy. She kept looking forward. She turned her thoughts from the past and concentrated on possible Eva scenarios. Eva must be with Aidan Bannister, their longtime neighbor and friend, and Eva's lover. Eva had never confided in Joanna about her blossoming relationship with Aidan, but Joanna wasn't blind. She could read the looks the two of them exchanged when they thought she wasn't watching. Aidan was like a brother, at least to Joanna. His family had died years ago in an influenza epidemic. Since then, he shared his rations and dined at their home in return for their companionship. He would often linger by their fire, drinking tea and listening to the stories Joanna recounted from her father's extensive repertoire. A few months ago, Eva had started to sit at Aidan's knee, and Joanna had noticed his hand lingering on her sister's shoulder, or touching her hair. Not a good sign. 
She had warned Eva to discourage Aidan's advances and sit in a chair at a respectable distance, but Eva had retorted that what she did was none of Joanna's business. So, it had come to this. Eva was missing, and Aidan hadn't shown up for dinner. Joanna didn't have to be a genius to figure out who was with whom, but where? And the sooner she found the two lovebirds and untangled them, the better. Joanna walked back to the door and looked up and down the street. Sometimes, when she couldn't locate her sister, she would discover Eva and Aidan talking in the shadows. But not tonight. They must be indoors somewhere. Joanna's throat went dry. Eva couldn't have been so bold as to visit Aidan in his home without a chaperone. Yet on second thought, Eva could be that reckless. She always had been. Joanna's throat clenched as another possibility came to mind. Eva and Aidan might have run off together, forced to flee because of Eva's upcoming nuptials. Joanna shook her head at the thought. Aidan wouldn't agree to such a plan. He would never place Eva in such danger, not even for love. Traveling at night was forbidden, but Joanna grabbed a licorice root from her stash of herbs and slipped back outside. She could keep her promise to Citizen Waldron and check to see if Eva was at Aidan's house at the same time. Aidan lived a few blocks down Chesterfield Lane, and Citizen Waldron was just a couple of doors down from his place. She could go there and back in a matter of minutes. Even though the prospect was dangerous, she had to take the risk to find her sister. Joanna locked the door behind her, hurried down the stairs, and ran down the cracked sidewalk. First, she delivered the medicine for the Waldron sick baby, and then she trotted to Aidan's address, ran up the steps, and pounded on his door. As she waited for a response, she looked down at her boots. Aidan's stoop needed to be swept. Rotted leaves littered the cracked concrete. Cobwebs hung in the corners. His flat appeared more derelict than welcoming. No wonder he chose to spend his time in their tidy apartment. Aiden, she hissed, hoping no one would hear. She rapped on the boarded-up window beside the door. Aiden. She paused to listen for approaching footsteps, but heard nothing. After a few more minutes, she hugged her cloak around her and trotted back down the stairs. She looked right and left again, hoping to spot the lovers in the mist. But the fog was particularly thick tonight. She couldn't see more than twenty feet in front of her. Not just lovebirds could be out there in the mist. She stared, but saw nothing. Still, she sensed there was a being in that mist, watching her. The hair raised on the back of Joanna's neck. She thought of the creatures she'd seen at the train wreck and the feeding frenzy she had witnessed. Vampires. Maybe that's why people were forbidden to walk the streets at night. Maybe the overseers knew about the real dangers that lurked in the dark, but they didn't want to alarm the citizens with the truth. Fear spiked through her, draining the heat from her face and hands. She clutched her cloak with icy fingers and forced herself to turn her back on the darkness behind her and head in the direction of her home. She walked as fast as she could, sensing that to run would encourage pursuit. 
Then she saw a figure emerge out of the fog in front of her. She could see a small man standing by the steam clock on the corner. His figure flickered in the light cast by the lamp atop the clock. Details became clearer as she approached. It was young Charlie, son of the leather maker Charlie Wyndham. She could smell the stench of tanning vats on the air and was certain it was Charlie. She stopped at the stone wall of an old town home near the clock, relieved to see a familiar face and anxious to hear where he'd been. Young Charlie had disappeared a few days ago, and his father had been distraught at the distribution last Sunday. "'Young Charlie,' Joanna greeted, "'I'm so glad to see you.' The young man smiled without opening his mouth. "'Where have you been? Your father has been so worried about you.' As she got closer, she noticed that Charlie was unusually pale. In fact, his skin was so white it looked like wax, and his eyes glowed in the dark like those of the vampires at the train wreck. Joanna stopped short as an awful truth filtered through her. Young Charlie, she repeated, stunned. Citizen, young Charlie purred in an unfamiliar sing-song voice. His voice seemed to glue her in place. She couldn't move backward. She couldn't step to the side. All she could do was stare at him, shaking in her boots. Young Charlie, it's me, Joanna, Joanna Wilder. She could tell by his blank expression that he didn't recognize her. How odd. Their family sat together at distribution every Sunday, grouped by their surnames. She teased him countless times and knew him well. The hour is late. It shouldn't be out. He smiled again, and his gaze raked over her, simmering with hunger. No man had ever looked at her that way. Joanna's heart thumped. This was no man before her. She swallowed, immobilized, clamping the cheese wheel to her chest as if it would offer protection. This must be how a rat felt in a trap caught by the foot, desperate to get away, but unable to free itself. She swallowed back her fear and struggled to think of a way out. Young Charlie strolled closer. He sniffed the air and smiled again. It smells good, he purred. It didn't really. The air smelled awful. Stench wafted off him. Then again, he might be referring to the cheese or to her human fragrance, or, most troublesome of all, the smell of her blood. She gaped at him, terrified of what he intended to do. Stay back, she warned. He snorted in derision. I've got a knife, Charlie. Liar. Then he lunged for her, knocking her against the stone wall and grabbing her hair to hold her in place. She pounded him with the wheel of cheese and then kneed him in the groin. But not even that fazed him. He pinned her against the stones and threw back his head, snarling. She could see his pointed teeth. Fear flared through her in a killing frost, immobilizing her limbs. This was what Mary Taylor had felt at the train wreck. Abject fear. Joanna should have closed her eyes to spare herself the grisly visuals of her own death. 
but she couldn't stop staring at the horrible lips and teeth coming down at her. Then, the next moment, everything changed. She heard a second man shout for Charlie to get off. Then that someone yanked young Charlie away and threw him in the street. Charlie sailed through the air and landed with a thud on the cobblestones. Joanna stared, hardly able to grasp the fact that she had been saved. Panting, she pressed against the wall, too shocked to move. She watched as a man in black strode up to young Charlie and pressed his cane onto the young man's chest, forcing him back to the cobblestones. Who turned you? the man in black demanded. I don't know. Who turned you? I said I don't know. Let me up. I'm starving. That's the least of your concerns. Bastard, let me up. Let me up. Young Charlie waved his arms and legs, looking like a beetle stuck on its back. Without saying another word, the man in black pushed down on his cane, piercing through young Charlie's filthy vest and shirt and stabbing him in the heart. Young Charlie coughed and sputtered. His eyes went wide. His feet made strange pedaling movements as if he were riding a bicycle. Then he cried out one last time and collapsed in upon himself, dead. The man in black turned, his expression grim. Joanna recognized him as the man who'd escorted her and Mary Taylor to Londo, the man called Gabriel. You killed him? Yes. He was going to kill you. I know, but he was a vampire and dangerous. Gabriel reached for her. Come, I will take you home. Joanna gave him her hand, but glanced back at the body in the street. I knew him. Young Charlie Wyndham. He'd been missing for a few days. He has probably been a vampire for those days and was still hanging around his old neighborhood. He didn't seem to know me. It's likely that he lost some of his human memories when he was turned. It happens. Gabriel urged her forward. But come, you must get off the streets. As you can see, it's not safe. But we can't just leave him there like that. Do not worry about him. Gabriel cupped her elbow. His body will be taken care of. Joanna allowed herself to be propelled toward her apartment. Her legs felt as if they would give out any moment, and her thoughts slowed to a standstill. But at the end of the block, she peered over her shoulder at young Charlie once more, shocked at how he had been killed and still not believing all that had transpired in the last few minutes. She couldn't see his body. It was as if he had vanished. But then again, mist rolled along the street, obliterating all detail. He must still be there. He had to be, and Gabriel had promised to take care of him. She would have to trust that the man in black would keep his word. For now, she was lucky to be alive. She started to shake. 